Well, over the course of these next several weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to focus on the topic of prayer, and uh, we're, we're calling the short version, and we'll, we'll spend some time here setting up the series. We'll get to a more specific definition in a moment, uh, but we use this phrase, communication with our God, and I don't think it would be incorrect to say that prayer is communication with God, but we felt that it was important to emphasize the relational connection, that this is communication with our God. He is our God. He is our Savior. He is our friend. And communication, as you can tell from the logo there too, this is a two-way interaction. It's not just asking him for things. Although that's very valid, we do that. He tells us to come boldly before his throne and, and ask. And so that's part of it. But in communication, I don't just ask, I, I share, I listen, I commune. It's, it's, it's a two-way relational connection. And to slide into our focus for today, we're specifically going to look at communion with our God. Now, we are going to partake in the act of communion. I'm not necessarily teaching about that specifically, but the idea in prayer of communing with God. And, and we'll look at some different things over the course of the series. But I want to start here. If you're familiar uh, with a healing evangelist uh, from earlier in the last century, Catherine Kuhlman, she was quoted in The Art of Prayer saying, The greatest power that God has given to any individual is the power of prayer. The greatest power that God has given to any individual is the power of prayer. Another thing that she says in uh, The Art of Prayer is that, and, and I'm not going to use this exactly, but there's something in it that I think is helpful for us. She talks about the idea that part of what happens with prayer is an act of mutual self-giving. An act of mutual self-giving. Meaning that as I come to God and as I lay my life down, as I uh, pour out my requests, as I share my heart, as I ask for what I need, as I even in that context uh, worship and praise Him... All of that, I am giving of myself to God in prayer. Well, God doesn't just sort of sit there with his arms crossed and say, that's, that's good, that's what I told you to do. No, it's a mutual act so that as I give myself to God in prayer, he gives himself back to me. He, he speaks, he acts, he encounters me. I often will feel things as I pray because it's an act of mutual self-giving and that again points directly to that relational context all right let's get a little bit more technical as we move towards the definition that we're going to use throughout this series dictionary.com would if you look this up uh, would define prayer this way a devout petition to god now that's what we all do you know we ask god for things uh, for ourselves and for others and that's Absolutely valid, but definition two says a spiritual communion with God, as in supplication, thanksgiving, adoration, or confession. And we're not going to dive into each of those things, but for today, we're going to focus on a spiritual communion with God, a spiritual 
communion with God. If you want, go ahead and turn to John chapter 17. Now, I'm going to put the first five verses up on the screen, and we're going to look at them. But I just wanted to mention up front that I would encourage you, uh, if you want to follow along, between now and next week, go and read all of John chapter 17. I'm, I'm not going to bite off the whole thing and, and read it today, and we're going to come back to this. But just as a way of overview, John 17 is Jesus praying. He's modeling for us uh, prayer. And in the context of this chapter, which we'll break down over time, we see Jesus praying for himself, which we're going to focus on today. We see Jesus praying for his disciples, and we see him praying for us because he, he mentioned sort of all of those who would enter into to his mission and his kingdom, which we, includes us even to the present day. Um, but I just thought, you know, if we're going to look at the idea of prayer and the practice of prayer, well, just like with everything else, we want to model that after Jesus. And so I thought the prayer of Jesus is the great place to start. We're just going to look at the first five verses now uh, and draw some things out, and then we'll come back to this. But I do encourage you to read the rest of the chapter this week. Verse 1, after saying these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, and here's where we start uh, what they call the red letters. So this means this is Jesus, direct quotes of Jesus speaking. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I, Jesus said, brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father... Bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. We see in this opening prayer of Jesus that prayer is an open, honest, and personal communication with our God. Jesus is speaking to his Father with whom he has an intimate relationship, and he even ends there by referencing back because Jesus' relationship with the Father uh, you know, didn't obviously begin when he came to the earth, but he has existed eternally as part of the Godhead. And this is why we spelled this out. When we're saying our God, we're talking about the Trinitarian God. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And just as an aside, this is the reason why it's like valid. You hear people often pray to the Father, or pray to the Son, or Jesus, or pray to the Holy Spirit, and think, well, well, how do I know which one to pick? They are all three in one. Our relationship is with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there's validity in different circumstances uh, to, to pick whichever one of those three is appropriate for the moment. Jesus is praying to his father with whom he has a relationship. And he points back to the fact that since before the dawn of creation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have lived in communion, in community, in relationship. They have always existed. And this is an important point for us to understand because 
some would try to say that God uh, created us because he lacked in relationship, and I don't think that that's true. He created us for relationship. He wanted to know us. He wanted us to know him because that's the greatest good that we could encounter. It gave him good pleasure to create us for the context of that relationship with him. But he has within himself community and relationship and communion. And that, again, is our model. Community, communion, and relationship. And so with this idea of prayer being an open, honest, and personal communication with our God, and as we see Jesus praying to his Father about the things that he mentions there, it also points, as we model after Jesus, and we'll look at some scriptures to back this up, we can have unity with God. Not just relationship that's like, an acquaintance, but a relationship where we're on the same page, where we're aligned, where we're working together and going in the same direction. Romans chapter 5, the first two verses we'll look at here from the message translation, by entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him. So I'm just going to pause there. He's pointing back to the fact that the whole story arc of the entire Bible and even creation is God setting us back to right. That we, we, We've talked about that before. Uh, it's not something that we can do for ourselves. It's God's work, but we participate in it. Okay, set us to right with him. Make us fit for him. We have it all together with God because of our master, Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. There's that picture of that mutual self-giving. As I open myself up, as I'm vulnerable, as I pour out my life, as I'm honest and open with God, he does the same with me. He opens himself up. He throws the doors open. He pours out who he is into me and into you. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. You see, the, the picture that that paints is, is, uh, is not one of someone who is in a place they feel they don't belong. No, it's, it, it, and it is what we long for, right? We, we, we long to not only be, but to feel right with God, to feel that unity and that intimacy and to not feel condemned or judged, to stand tall, to feel like I, I belong, not because of what I have done, but because the Father who loves me has given me a place, has made a way, and has invited me in. All right, let's look at one more. Let's go to John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Still in the message for now. So Jesus explained himself at length. And again, you can go back and read the verses preceding this. But this quote from Jesus, I'm telling you this straight. The Son can't independently do a thing. Only what he sees the Father doing. 
again, if I could impose this, like you're getting this picture of, of alignment. He's saying the son can only do what he sees the father doing. That's because they're in alignment. They're trying to work together. The son's not trying to go off and do his own thing. He's trying to do the will of the father. What the father does, the son does. The father loves the son and includes him in everything that he is doing. I think sometimes we forget this. It's easy to look at all the things that are wrong with the world and think, I'm going to pray for that, but I don't know that there's anything I can do about it. I've been there. It's a little overwhelming, right? To, to look at all the things that are not set to right in the world. And it can feel overwhelming to think, gosh, is it really my assignment to fix that? Well, it is, but not independently. It's the Father's heart to set things right in the world. And it says here that, he included him, referring the son, who then included us when he commissioned us and brought us in, in everything he is doing. See, Jesus wanted to please the Father he, because he loved the Father. You, you guys who have children understand this. When, you're, when your kids are real little, it's like they look at you as if you could do no wrong. And, you know, we've we've all heard these, you know, squabbles maybe in, in, in early elementary school, you know, well, my daddy says thus and so. And it's like it said with all the confidence that like, it's my daddy, so there's no way it could be wrong. Even though what maybe what the other little person is saying is, to, well, but my daddy said, you know, and, and he he's like, he's the king of the world in their eyes. They're willing to see what the Father is doing, to hear what the Father is, is, is saying. And this, this doesn't, I'm not excluding mothers in this analogy, but that's the way that Jesus is looking at the fathers. He's like, he knows that the Father is good. He knows that the Father is trustworthy. He knows that the Father is about doing good, is about setting things to right. And he says, that's right. I want to be part of that. And the father says, yes, son, come along. I'll show you. I'll do it with you. I'll teach you. I'll, I'll work through you. We see, if we bring this idea of seeing what the father is doing and saying what the father is saying to us personally, we see in part we, we, we don't fully understand everything that the Father is doing, and that's okay. I'm not painting a picture that, that if we don't see in, in completeness, that no, the, the Scripture tells us that, that we don't yet. We, we see it's like squinting through a, a fog or a dim mirror. We just see in part. But to the degree that we see in part, we have the opportunity to participate, to put our Yes, our amen, our participation with what God's work is about doing. What we see the Father doing through the Son, we are invited to participate in. And one of the ways to discover this is that same context of coming to him in prayer. 
Now, again, it's totally valid. I, I have times of prayer where my sole focus is dealing with something in life. Asking questions, pouring out my heart. But I should also have times in prayer where I'm just saying, God, can I commune with you? Can I, can I just feel a little bit of your heart? Can you show me some of what you're saying? Because I want to participate with it. I want to actually orient my life around what you're doing. And in communal prayer, I can begin to get in touch with that. Now, you might wonder, why is it that God doesn't just, in his might and power and omniscience and omnipresence, just like take care of stuff? Why does he want us to participate? It's not because he needs our help to get it done. It's because he knows participating in his work puts us in touch with the greatest good that exists in the universe. It's the best thing for us. In the process of participating in his work, in the process of being vulnerable and open in relationship, we are actually entering into a process of transformation. In the process of doing his things, we become more like him. One of the phrases that that was thrown around often early in our uh, movement of vineyard churches, you would hear these phrases like, well, I feel like sometimes that the, the, the sermons are, are not deep enough. I want to get into the, the meat of the word. And John would say, the meat is in the street. And what he meant by that was, the words that we read and the things that we experience become alive when we put them into practice. So when we go to the places where things are not set right, and I'm not saying that things are all set right here, they're not, but if we go to places where more things are not set right, where there are hungry people, where there are people that need clothes or job skills training or mental health services, when we go to those places, when we go into the streets, metaphorically and physically, that's where the meat of the word is because what we read and what we believe comes alive. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to participate in bringing his good to the earth and setting things right for people and giving people who have no hope, hope. Introducing them to the reality that when they may feel there is no alternative for the life that I'm living we can enter in and say, actually, friend, there is an alternative. And it doesn't require you to clean yourself up or get your act together and come look like us. It requires the same thing that we've just been talking about us uh, practicing, just an act of mutual self-giving. Coming honestly and openly before the Father and saying, Jesus... Father, Holy Spirit, here I am, as I am, with my mistakes, with my faults, with all the, the baggage that I have, but here I am, and I want to give myself to you. 
Because I, I, and I'm sliding back and forth here. Let's not reserve that concept only for those that are in dire straits in the world. I could probably still come to him in the same way. I, I probably shouldn't think too much of myself to think that I'm no longer in need of that. And, and, and part of what I'm getting at is, and for those of you who have been following Jesus but can remember what life was like before him, you could probably identify with this statement. I know what life was like when I tried to do it my way. And the temptation to be pulled back to doing it my way is, is not like that temptation's not gone. But it's kind of like, I tried it, and how did that work out? We could probably, most of us, give testimony that that doesn't work out real well. But there are people in this world, people in our own community, I don't want to impersonalize this to them. People in your very life, people that you know, that you know their face and their name and their history. And in their mind, the way their life is going is the only way it could go. That they feel bound and captive to the mistakes that they've made. They feel as if the labels that people have put on them because of their actions and choices is who they really are. And they are waiting for someone like you to present an alternative. To present the reality that there are alternatives that you had previously considered impossible. There is a God who loves you more than you could possibly imagine, and who has within himself the ability to change the trajectory of your life entirely. And all that he requires of you is to give up. To take all that you are, all that you have, and lay it down before him and say, you know what, Jesus, I've tried this. I've done my things my way, and this is where I am. I'm going to try things your way. And I don't think that it's invalid to tell God, you know, I want a trial run. I don't know. I mean, certainly there are people that come to Jesus and have walked away. I'm, I'm not saying that doesn't, but uh, I would say that the, the, uh, the follow-through rate is pretty high. When you, when you do that exchange, when you give up what you've got and allow him to pour into you what he's got, I, I don't think most people, you know how this happens, we, we uh, get an offer that comes through. Sign up for a free seven-day trial. Well, I, I, now I have a bad habit, I'm just going to be honest before you. We'll do this, you know, there's some certain show or special coming on. I'm just going to do the trial because, you know, I, 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 I want to watch that. But I don't really need to subscribe to this long term or whatever it is. And then, you know, you forget. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, why am I, why am I paying for this? And you realize, well, you know, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and cancel it because it's probably the value for it's not there. You know, maybe it's only five bucks a month or whatever, but uh, we, we like to say it this way. I don't, I, don't, I don't like it five bucks worth. You know, maybe I like it two bucks worth. We do the same thing with purchases. It's like, maybe that's the price, but no, nah, I don't like it that much. Trying out the Jesus way 
probably isn't going to result in, yeah, I don't think the value's there. If you really give it a go, and, and I know for the most part, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, right? We're like, we're, we're here because we, we want to follow Jesus. But the encouragement is, not only can you bring this to others, but, you know, if you take two steps off the path to the right, you're never more than one step from just turning back. You know, God, I, I, I stepped over here for a minute, and I recognize that's not who you made me to be. That, that's not who I am. That's not what I do. And the temptation can be to think, well, I stepped out of line, so now all of that's invalid. You know, now I've got I've to back up and go back and, and find him. And the truth is, when you stop following him, he doesn't stop following you. You are his child. And when you, when you go in a direction that doesn't align with who you are, I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, I don't know how else to describe it. it. You could go 20 steps. You could go 20 miles. You could go to the ends of the earth. And the moment you realize and turn around to go back, he's right there. He never left you. He didn't forsake you. He didn't even, uh, you know, like cross his arms and say, nope. He said, I'm here. I'm here. And you're not disqualified from participating in the next thing that he's doing. One step. You come back. You're open. You're honest. And I, and I would even go so far as to say, God can even use us in spite of things that are going on. This is a difficult concept to understand because, uh, well, let, let's just use this example for a minute. And I, I'm not going to go too deep into it because it, it could get touchy and it could, it could run away from us in, in more than we, than we want to. There's a lot of celebrity culture in the American church. And we all know countless stories of 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 the big name pastors that at some point it was revealed that they had fallen in some way or that they had been uh, living a double life or, 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 you know, something that's clearly wrong, something that's out of line suddenly gets revealed. And there are those who would say, well, because of that, all of the fruit is invalid. That That person wasn't following God. And I want to be clear, I'm, in sin is not following God. And there's, there's, I'm not making excuses. I'm not condoning behavior. But God can work through broken vessels. And again, this is not sweeping sin under the rug. We are, we are called to a higher standard. I, we're, we're, I just want to be clear about that. But God can still work through broken vessels. Unless we judge the pictures of those that have a great big platform where it seems like the fall is harder because, because of the picture we have. Or, and in some cases, the, the, the thing is, seems bigger. We need to be really careful not to judge someone else's sin as bigger than ours. God sees it all the same. 
God sees the, the, the one who, who sort of falls from grace, if you will, because they've been living a double life for 20 years and, and they've been had all kinds of secrets and deception and abuse. The sin of that, he views the same as the little white lie that you told to your friend last night. That doesn't mean that consequences and results are the same. You might think nobody's harmed. But sin, as we've understood it through the context of Scripture, is anything that causes a break in that relationship, in that communion that I have with God. There's very much clearly a difference between right and wrong. But the essence of sin is that I'm stepping outside of the relationship. I'm going in a direction that he's not going. I'm doing something the Father's not doing. I'm saying something the Father's not saying. That, that, that is the essence of, of what it is. Bringing it back to why does God want us to participate? He cares for us. He wants to bless us. He wants to reward us. And he wants to give us the joy that he feels when his work is accomplished. Again, I, I would say, uh, uh, you know, many of you have probably experienced this, but of the things that we could do with Jesus to participate in his work, when you invest in someone's life, when you are the, the carrier of the hope that Jesus has, and someone says yes to that, someone allows God to change their trajectory and move their life in a different direction, and you've been able to be part of that, there is no greater joy. Because you recognize that it's entirely outside of your control. You know you better than I know you. And I know me. And when I have had those moments, and part of my prayer is to have more of those moments, because I don't think that God is getting everything done that he wants to do through me. I think there's probably more. There's probably more people. There's probably more places. But when I've been able to participate and see people allow God to change that trajectory, the feeling of joy, and it's not about, oh, I did a good thing, you know, I get a gold star on the chart. It's that you realize the difference that's being made in that person's life you helped accomplish that. Not, not that you saved them. God does the work, but he did it through you. You got to participate. And, and this is the value, going back from a few weeks before, of living our yes. The result for a true Christian and believer of living your yes is that more and more people will get in touch with the reality that you live in. Now, that can look a million different ways. Some of you think, oh, that means, you know, I have to do things I'm uncomfortable with. God can use you a number of different ways, but the reality of a believer living their yes towards Jesus is that somehow, some way, probably a little unique to each of us, other people are going to encounter that reality and are going to have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. 
And he cares that we have that experience. He cares, he cares for the lost ones that we go find them, that we bring them the hope that they're missing. But we never forget that we weren't uh, the ones that saved ourselves when we were in that boat either. All right, so God cares for us. 1 John 4, just a couple verses. This is how God showed his love for us. This is speaking to all of us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We're not going to go back and pick up, you know, but it's like uh, in the gospel of John, he says, you know, it's not, it's not so I could condemn the world. He, he didn't send Jesus to say, here's all the things that are wrong. He actually, for the most part, doesn't mention them or call them out, but yet he goes about the business of setting them to right. So that we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God. For those of you that have been following Jesus for a long time, this is not once upon a time I prayed a prayer and, and, and you know, that was my journey. But that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins, the, the barriers to the relationship, and the damage that they'd done to our relationship with God. In other words, he brought a possibility that didn't exist. A previously unconsidered alternative was given. See, we tried to do it, if we go back to the Old Testament, we tried to do it under the law, and we could never get there. No one could ever keep all of the laws and, and, and get there through that covenant. And so Jesus said, I'm going to make another way. Because I care enough about getting my kids back in relationship with me that I'm, I'm, I'm going to clear the way. I'm going to make it what is impossible for them to do, I'm going to make possible again. All right, I'm going to wrap up here for today. Our legacy is serving this caring God. Our legacy is not the empires that we build. It's not even, as much as I don't want to say it, the, the generations that we leave behind. Now, we want them to continue to participate, but they in and of themselves are not our legacy. Our legacy is serving this caring God by continuing to participate in his kingdom work and by helping transfer that to the next generation. So that they can carry on the legacy, but it's all about Jesus. It's all about the Father's work, what the Father is doing, what the Father is saying. And we do it because he did it for us first. We love because he first loved us. He cares about you. I, 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 I can't like articulate with words the depth of the reality of that. But I'm trusting him in his Holy Spirit, to speak to the depths of your heart and your spirit, the reality of what it means that he cares for you. It's not just that he cares about what happens to you or he wants you to have things a little bit easier. I think he actually warned us that in this life you will have some troubles. You will have some things. But guess what? 
I've overcome. I'm bigger. And how good is it to go back to our, our, our analogy, you know, think of the little kid that encounters something. And they go, I, I, well, I don't know what to do with this, but you know what? I bet my daddy can handle it. He's already big enough. I'm not big enough yet, but he's big enough. He, he can handle this. That's our God. There's nothing that you run into in this life or in this world. And I would even go so far as to say there's not a person you go in, could run into in this life or the, in this world that he's not, A, already at work, and B, able to overcome. It's entirely within his grasp. 